Good evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan with Inkheist, and tonight I'm joined by my co-hosts Shane Douglas Keene and Laurel Hightower. And tonight we're excited to sit down and talk to Keith Rossin, author of The Mercy of the Tide, Smoke City, and his latest novel, Road 7, which is out now through Meerkat Press. So how are you doing, Keith? Good. I uh, just finished um, our dinner with the kids. And we are drinking a beer and hanging out with you guys. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of what we're doing, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, as far as the drinking part, obviously, right. we're, uh, <laughs> we're talking with you. But, um, yeah, we when we have our guests on, we usually uh, like to have them kind of give like a new kid at school speech. So anything you want to tell us and our listeners, you know, kind of a little bit about yourself and your work. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. I um, have three books out, all on the same indie press, uh, with a fourth one that's a story collection coming out in six months. And uh, it was a pretty uh, slow burn of an introduction to publishing in the sense that I like queried like almost 100 agents before I landed one. And my books got like a lot of near bites with big five publishers. Um, and then I landed at this indie publisher um, and it just was like, like we just lucked out with like, like they worked their ass off from day one, but we got like starred publisher weekly reviews and like NPR reviews. And it was just like a really awesome, perfect storm of um, really neat events happening um, for a small press. And it was the first book that they had ever, the first novel they'd ever put out. Um, and it's just been such a rad experience that we have done, like I said, like four books now. So I'm stoked. That's excellent. Yeah. I was kind of, uh, I was talking with the guys right before this and, and noticing, you know, that you'd been with Meerkat across the board. So that's, that's very cool um, yeah. to kind of find I mean, that indie home and settle in. Yeah. And, and the, the, publisher is very frank and honest where it's like dude if you can find if you land a big five um deal like absolutely take it because it benefits everybody you yeah. know what i mean like yeah um and trisha rocks that way yeah she is so wonderful man she has just worked her she just works her ass off for all of her authors so much she does you know and i, I see that intensely from uh from the reviewer side and podcaster side it's like every project every project that she's working on i get way advanced notice and she's mm -hmm. making damn sure that she's got people lined up to to buzz about it and she's just like her own non-stop marketing department and yeah like she puts out you know like i mean i don't know a half dozen books a year but it's like she does everything for them yeah. and it's just so on top of every aspect of it from like ad design to like the like numbers aspect of publishing where it's like you know like the the royalty statement trying to figure out returns and shit like that from bookstores and and how that figures into royalty statements is like it's enough to drive me insane you know and she just does it she just it's like that works for her you know so yeah she's awesome um yeah that would drive me out of my freaking mind yeah <laughs> All, yeah, all I would sure. want to know is, if is it a big number? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Yep. Uh, so, Keith, um, you know, I'm kind of, 
I I know Shane has read a lot of your stuff, but Laurel and I we're a little bit uh we're a little bit newer, but um actually the my introduction to your work was through the uh, story you did for us. Um, which if people want to check that out, it's available for free over at inkice.com. But uh, your story there, Souls Climb the Room. And also Road 7, which, you know, I was really excited to talk to you about because I read the synopsis for the first time. And, you know, kind of about, you know, like this, you know, kind of like cryptid hunter. And, you know, him and a research assistant, they get this video of a unicorn and then they set off to this island. And, like, you know, just the mention of that, like the UFOs, I was like, this is my kind of book. <laughs> I, I told Laurel the other night, I was like, if there was ever a book that I felt like was written just for me, uh, it would be Road Seven. That's awesome. <laughs> But uh, I was just kind of curious, you know, um, you know, it's one of those things which, you know, I, I know authors hate being asked, you know, like, where do you get your ideas? But I was just kind of curious, you know, what was kind of the impetus for you starting this particular novel, kind of the kernel of that idea? I love that shit. I love hearing um, hearing people's ideas like that and how things like kind of grow and gestate, you know, Um so please always, whenever you want to, man, ask me that question. Like, I love it. Um, so Road 7 actually started as a series of three prompts from my writing group about six years ago. And I think the three writing prompts were Unicorn, A Dark Secret, and Sex in a Pumpkin Patch. Um, and <laughs> that's what I got. And it, it, I turned it into a short story and presented it to the group and like it was pretty much unanimous that like it just hadn't arrived yet as a story you know mm-hmm. and so i just kept kind of like um adding to it and then uh it just it got to the point where it's like oh it's a fucking book is what it is okay then here we go so but yeah it started out with like three little handwritten prompts that i drew out of a hat um at writing group <laughs> That's so awesome, uh, mm-hmm. especially like, you know, just those kind of like three, you know, those three fragments and kind of what you were able to morph it into. Um, and especially because like another thing I was talking about uh, with Shane and Laurel a little bit ago was when, like when I read the back and, you know, without spoiling it for anybody, when I read the back, like I don't I don't really know what I was expecting, but I was expecting something like comical maybe and a little uh-huh. bit over the top right. but I, I loved how you were kind of able to take like this you know completely like crazy premise and kind of weave some like really some really like human and you know quote-unquote normal you know mm-hmm. stuff into it to balance it out yeah i i have this feeling that like I don't know. As somebody who I don't have like a college degree, I certainly don't have an MFA and I I deal with like imposter syndrome like every day that I sit down to write. And I have this desire that like I want to be a literary author so goddamn bad. But I grew up on like X-Men and Stephen King and I just cannot put like I can't write something without putting like a ghost or a fucking robot or something in it, you know? Um, so it's really that merging of like kind of cross genre stuff of like the like navel gazing of, of literary fiction, but also yeah. like really fun mm-hmm. genre shit, you know? 
Yeah, um, I have a I have a note here when I was thinking about this last night. Um, it's just magical realism slash neo noir slash existential horror slash the unknown slash dark fantasy slash literary. <laughs> And I'm talking all that's all just road seven. Yeah, right? Like I'm getting ready to start pitching this new book and I'm like, how many qualifiers do I get? Like this new thing is like, okay, it's a alternate history dystopian literary thriller. Like, oh my god, what the hell, man? Just like pick two. Like two at most, you know. Well you're gonna so. just you have to get to the point where you can just say it's a Rawson. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, and just exactly. let them go from there. And then just vomit in my own mouth for days <laughs> and days. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> fucking lie. <laughs> well, it's so. yeah. I mean, it. I, I'm just. I, I. I. That's probably my favorite. Where did this story come from? Uh huh. Like history ever because it's like. I mean, whoever throw those threw those at you? Were they fucking with you a little bit? Um. <laughs> like, I mean, people are pretty cavalier with them. Yeah, like the sex and the pumpkin patch one. Like, yeah, you know. And a um, unicorn. I mean, really? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> something about, like, I love that stuff. Like, I, I really encourage, like, um, people ask a lot, like, you know, for writing advice. And I'm like, I would suggest getting a writer's group or at least someone you can bounce work off of, you know. And um, it was tremendously. I love that shit. I love doing prompts. And I love... Um, the pressure of like, okay, my friends are going to critique this in two weeks. I have to bust it out. You know, like I, something in me responds really well to that. Well, even if it's, even if it's weird, you know, even if they make up like um, really bad prompts. Yeah. But you're, you excel at fucking weird, man. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I appreciate but, and it. I mean, that I do mean That's that. That's a blurb right there. All yeah. right. And I do mean it in the best of ways when I say yeah. that. Um, Road Road Seven is a perfect example of what I mean. Um, Smoke City. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't read anything by you that. Um, and weird is wrong. Um, I mean, like uh, their souls climb the room. That's like the straightest one of the straightest stories I've ever written. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know where there's like maybe the souls of dead pigs following this guy around, but maybe not, you know? Um, and that's the like most straight and narrow, like kind of story I've written in some time. Which is and, telling uh, y'all exactly what kind of writer we're talking. To. <laughs> 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 Keith kind of, what was, what was that like for you? You know, kind of, you know, I don't know if you set out to do that, but kind of trying your hand at doing something a little bit more straightforward, like you said, Oh man, I love, um, I love crime fiction so much. And, um, it's, it's so hard like to write that shit. Um, and cause there's such an economy to it, um, where magical realism and weird stuff, you kind of get to like, uh, really expand a little bit in this world. But with crime, it's like, uh, you don't have the same like cushions in place. And, uh, so good crime fiction is fucking amazing. Um, and so I was just trying to kind of like, um, fit within those confines the best I could. And I just, I'd read a couple of books about the conditions of slaughterhouses that were just like, Oh my God, this is insane. So I was able to kind of fit that into a fiction story. 
And I still was not able to walk away without fitting some quasi ghosts in there, you know? Um, (laughs) But yeah, I love it. Like when, when you read good crime fiction and noir stuff, it's like, it just, it just burn the pages just burn along like very other few genres do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and you know, I feel the same way about it. And that's kind of one of the things that, you know, inspired us when we started our site because you know like we do a lot of horror stuff and like noir stuff but um mm-hmm. yeah i i can definitely uh i can definitely relate to what you're saying yeah well and i think that gives it so much scope you know i can kind of see like i'm i don't i'm not part of a writer's group so i'm just picturing like you know if my first time sitting down i got those for the pitch i'd probably be like you know um, I'm not sure that I get out for this uh-huh. because that, yeah. it would just be so, but yeah, I mean, like what you're saying, if that's the sort of thing you expect and, and it does, you know, if somebody gives you something easy, if they're like, well, you know, a graveyard and a full moon, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I mean, cool, but you know, right. that's the, but, but the scope it's, for it's, this. It's not yeah. really a challenge then, right? Like, like the boundaries are already pretty clearly defined. So yeah. A unicorn and shit. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, that can just go. Well, and and what I love about this, too, I mean, there's again, like there's just all these elements and you're just like, oh, my gosh, where you know, where is the story going? What is this going to be? And yeah. it's just immediately you get pulled in so much by the character of Brian, you know, mm-hmm. who just is so, you know, just kind of goofily lovable, like relatable. Like I, yeah. I just I loved Brian and I was like, oh, I know. Like I, I died laughing about the the charred pine cone uh-huh. <laughs> right that and is Shane was like right yeah. Shane was like you wouldn't laugh if you lived in Portland <laughs> mm-hmm. right like that's Portland or at least, you know like that's exactly it's like they're laughing about it. yeah if you lived in Portland you wouldn't be really laughing right. about that much you should see some of the fucking martinis you can get in there. yeah <laughs> yeah with him man I had a real like uh I love writing like shitty, shitty characters in the sense of like um, people who are like uh, pretty woefully damaged, you know. And but he was such a kind of like sad sack guy that I was like, oh, I hope people just aren't so infuriated by this like essentially mopey dude that they don't want to read the book. No, I felt like he was. I mean, like, and maybe it's I don't know. Maybe it's like a. Uh, an age thing or something like I I never like pursued like a higher degree so I don't because I, but it was kind of I don't know I I, I studied anthropology for a while mm-hmm. and the reason I stepped away from it was because I was like nope uh, advanced degree is not in my future and that's pretty much the only way you know to do this right. and but I really related to the whole like desperate need to step off the carousel uh-huh. Like the, you know, this is going nowhere. I feel like I'm worthless. You know, I'm not because I mean, the goals that are placed on him are up in large part from other people. Mm-hmm. So, no, I mean, he was definitely mopey, but he was like very self-aware of it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, is part of what made him so. I, I loved Brian. Yeah, that's a I really I, I hadn't quite thought of it that way. That is very cool. Thank you. Yeah, that's absolutely. It's a, a neat way to hear it um, put forth. Definitely. I really enjoyed Brian. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely related to him, too. And one of the interesting things is that I found about, you know, Brian and Mark Sandoval is, you know, kind of, again, without 
you know, given too much of it away. It was just kind of how they kind of come from the same background and they kind of, you know, mirror each other almost in a way. Mm-hmm. While they're, they're, to, they're two totally different characters, but you can kind of see, you know, kind of the similarities between the two. And I think that's kind of what makes their partnership so like engaging and interesting to follow throughout the course of the story yeah and it's also it's like like punk or like um publishing shit writing shit like everybody if you don't know the person you know somebody who knows them you know yeah which is like kind of a funny thing to think about in like a weird like cryptozoology world or anthropology world like everybody kind of knows each other to some degree yeah, that's that's true. I don't, and yeah, but that's such an excellent element to include in it. I mean, the yeah. way that they would be connected in that fashion, right. you know, and even the sense of like mild shame that he has, you know, of even knowing who Sandoval is. He's like, oh, right. well, I mean, you know, and then kind of being stoked kind of, when he's like, oh, here I am with him. Oh, God. All right. I'm kind of excited, but not quite. I don't know. <laughs> Mildly ashamed, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is it uh, intentional? One of the things I've noticed about uh, both, especially um, Smoke City and this book, is that they all deal with characters, and and in both those books, in both cases, both characters um, are either running from or toward some kind of fucked up past that they have hanging over them or, you know, chasing closely behind them. Yeah, you know, I actually read a review of the book recently that um, I thought was very cool. And it was this person saying that um, Rawson is developing a kind of trope that I wish he would eventually be able to step past. And that's the uh, kind of aggrieved alcoholic character um, running away from or like just making a total mess of his life. And um, to some degree, that kind of archetype is through every one of these books, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and on one hand, um, I'm not like I'm like fuck. That's accurate. I could see yeah. that. Um, on the other hand, I, I keep coming back to this quote that George Singleton uh, said, who is a fantastic, hilarious fucking writer from uh, I think North Carolina. Um, and he's put out like 10 short story collections. He's amazing. Um, but he wrote, if you have to uh, write 10 stories in a row about a um, three-fingered fisherman, uh, just do it, you know? Um, like, it's part of the process as a writer is you just go through this. Um, you just sort of run through things organically, however the fuck they go. And so... I wrote three novels with these kind of ruined men running away from something. Yeah. Um, well, and as an aggrieved alcoholic myself, I can say they really <laughs> resonate. Well, yeah, I mean, I certainly like, I mean, I'm drawing from like my own uh, experience to some degree, you know? Um, but like, so I'm, I feel like with this new stuff, I'm like, I'm moving past that as a writer. Um but it took three novels and a whole bunch of short stories to get there. Um, and I'll probably come back to it again, you know? Oh, yeah. so. and, and that's, you know, that's just the nature of art, you know, mm-hmm. like, 
you look at our uh, visual artists frequently have long ass series of similarly similarly themed paintings and totally you know poets i mean i write poems one after another after another that obsess over the same fucking thing sometimes for weeks right. you know, so yeah, so these first three books are just like the barf trilogies. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. There we go. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd agree with the barf part. Of um, or, you know, the hangover trilogy. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, I get that where it's like, um, it's like a lot of the characters' motivations are similar throughout the books. Um, but it is what it is. And hopefully they're different enough where it's like an enjoyable read, you know? Oh yeah, well it's like um, they're they're like adult coming of age stories. You know? Right, and, right. And anyone anyone with a penis knows what it's like to come of age as an adult. So, because that's when it happens for most of us. I, oh, okay. It took. I'm like squinting so hard at my computer screen trying to figure it out. Okay, I got you now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I still absolutely am. I'm You're like, not there are days when I feel like a grown up, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I love, I mean, I really love that advice about that, you know, if you have to write multiple books with that viewpoint, because it's, you know, sometimes you start to get worried. You're like, am I, you know, am I being formulaic or are my characters too close to one another? But how do I stretch that with it still being authentic? I mean, that's yeah. I, I love that advice. That's excellent. And I've tried to do like, like I said, like genre stuff um, outside of my wheelhouse um, with like strict boundaries of like, okay, there's not going to be a robot that breathes fire, or there's not going to be like, you know, a werewolf with depression issues or whatever. And um, and it was the some of the most vastly extended like unfun writing periods of my life, you know. Um, so yeah, I really, I really just do think that if you have to write the same shit 10 times in a row, that that's cool. Well, I cannot imagine with this, this set of elements that it is remotely formulaic. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. No, um, I can confirm that if there's nothing formulaic about Keith Rawson's work. There we go. Thank you so much. I really, um, uh, I'm excited about this story collection uh, that's coming out in February because it's um, probably even more so than books or novels. It's been like um, story collections really got me into being a reader and being a writer. And so it's it's just super exciting um, that after three novels, like that's an option, too. And that's where shit really gets weird uh, is with the collection. So, um yeah, that's a really exciting thing as well. Uh, yeah, I'm really super excited about that one, too. I've, uh, anytime there's an update on that, I track that very closely. With yeah. The one that says, hey, it's on your way, on its way to you, buddy. Right. And <laughs> yeah, and um, the Ankai story will absolutely be in there for sure. So. Oh, sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. What was, I was going to say, uh, what's what's the title of the collection? Uh, folk songs for trauma surgeons. Right, right, okay, and that's also a meerkat one, right? Yep. Yep. Right on. Right on. Uh, 
Yeah, no, I'm not going to go there again. I was going to say, I can't sing her praises enough, but... Oh, Trisha, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, sure. yep. yep. <laughs> Meerkat always does it right, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'm super excited about that, though, because I've read, I think, three Rawson short stories, and... Mm. and um, have loved every single one of them so to have a book full of them would be awesome i i think yeah i think there's like 16 stories in it and it's been i uh with when road seven when the promo stuff for road seven really heated up um my uh wife and i um became foster parents of the two and a three-year-old these two sisters and um and then like a month later, uh, COVID happened. And so between those two things, um, any promo shit for Road 7 just ground to a halt. Yeah. Um, and I like, and it was like, we haven't had the kids for like six months now. And so it's a much different world than it was uh, in our house than when right. we first got them. And I'm actually able to write again and things like that. But um, so I, I'm really like almost as a, a a thing to Trisha being like, Hey, I am working hard here. So I'm hustling super fast and as much as I can on folk songs to kind of make up for what feels like a lackluster thing on my part, as far as road seven goes. Um, but at the same time, it was a, I mean, that was a crazy fucking stretch of time, but, um, so yeah, so I've been sending out road seven to all these authors that I greatly admire for blurbs. And that is a, I know Lauren has a, you have a novella out now, Crossroads. Yes, yeah, it came out this and week. Yep. I don't know if you, um, what your blurb solicitation experience was like, but motherfucker, that is a scary thing to do. <laughs> it, it definitely is, yeah, it, it definitely can be. I was I was really fortunate um, in, in the folks that took time to read that, but yeah, like just asking for that seems so pretentious, doesn't it? It's like, hello, busy person who writes and I admire greatly. Well, Let me flap I mean, my yeah. book at you. <laughs> you know? And it, it feels like a, I feel, I can feel confident about it and then being like, oh, but that person's going to read it. Oh, shit. Never mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because that's the other thing, too, is it's like, um, the, you know, when, when my first novel was released, like nobody knew who I was. I didn't, hmm. I didn't know anything about marketing. It was just, you know, nothing. And that was actually much less nerve wracking <laughs> because I, I, dude, I totally agree with you. Yep. I hear you. I was just kind of wondering, I was like, what if there's this anticipation and everyone hates it? But, right. you know, and then it's like we were talking to uh, Jonathan um, Langan the other day and he's like, oh, yeah, I've got it on a pre-order. And I'm like hyperventilating into a paper uh-huh. bag, you know? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That was unexpected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, that's kind of interesting. Like, I haven't had that... Uh... I haven't had that experience, but I can only imagine. But um, to kind of circle back on how you said you got into, you know, short stories is kind of what, you know, got you excited about writing and stuff. And especially with, you know, kind of this unique voice that you've developed. Like, I I haven't read anything like it, to be honest. I was kind of curious. Yeah, I was just kind of curious, you know, with that in mind and all these elements that you bring together, you know, what were some of the writers and collections that, you know, kind of helped mold you into the writer that you are now? Um, 
That's a really good question. I I remember um, there's two books that I can think of off the top of my head. One was um, this dude, Michael Doan, D-O-A-N-E. And uh, he wrote this um, book called Bullet Heart. And I checked it out from the library like decades ago. And um, it was just this incredible like literary novel um, kind of about uh, kind of about Wounded Knee, I think. And um, or I'm sorry, Pine Ridge and um, like a fictionalized version of that. And I just remember um, being so floored by it. And he wrote like eight or ten of these amazing, um, like quasi literary, like spy novels or thrillers back in the 80s and 90s. And he just fucking disappeared afterwards. And like, there's also this dude, Michael Doan, who wrote a massively successful book about um, acing the SATs. So whenever I Google him, <laughs> that dude is always <laughs> in the forefront every goddamn time. And. The other Michael Doan is just fucking disappeared. And um, he's incredible. And then the other collection, the collection is called uh, Caution Men in Trees um, by this guy named Daryl Spencer. And he also wrote um, Bring Your Legs With You. Um, and they're just like uh, these incredible, like literary, tough guy, um, like Hemingway-esque um tough guy stories but like he wrote them in such a way that like 23 year old me was just riveted um so those are the two off the top of my head that are just like that really made me want to be a writer for sure that's, that's excellent yeah. yeah go ahead rich no I, I was pretty much gonna say that the same thing you know that that's kind of cool and you know like that's one thing we always like to hear about you know is kind of writers that you know shaped writers that we really enjoy because it opens you up to you know books that you might have otherwise not discovered but you know i also thought it was interesting how you mentioned you know michael doan like i've i'm relatively young so i've been discovering kind of the paperbacks from hell i don't know if you've read that book by grady hendrix but you know uh -uh. some of the it's basically about like the hard paperbacks of the 70s and 80s and stuff so it was a lot of stuff that came out you know when i was too young to discover it the first time around um but i always found it interesting that like with a lot of those writers it was kind of the same thing and it almost kind of builds like this mythology around them like you'll read this great book and they might have only had like one or two books mm -hmm. and, and if you're not familiar with them you're like you know what happened to them like what right. are they doing now this is so damn good yeah, and I don't think Doan was, like, I mean, like, you can find old-ass, like, Publishers Weekly reviews and stuff, but, like, you look them up on Goodreads, and there's, like, three or four, like, reviews, um, like, it's been, his books have been reviewed, like, 12 times or something, you know, and, uh, yeah, but he's incredible, and um, I don't know, I think he might have, um, he might have perished, as they say. Um, like he wrote a lot about like, uh, Vietnam veterans and stuff. And so, I mean, those dudes are age wise, like kind of getting up there a bit, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I was but wondering if he changed his name because of the other 
SIT, SAT don't go. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. Kidding. Right. Um, yeah. It's, it's one of those things where like, it's on one hand, it's kind of a nice mystery to have. And I, I mm-hmm. might be vastly disappointed if I actually know what happened, you know? Um, but also like, God damn, he's good. He's a really good writer. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote down both of those titles to check cool. them out. <laughs> yeah, that to be honest, like, you know, we love having these conversations, but at least for me, like, I'm kind of greedy in that, like, I'm like, okay, every time we have, you know, like a new guest, it's cool to get, like, these great recommendations. Like I said that, you know, like, I probably never would have discovered, you know, that author on my own. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those dudes, like, they haven't published anything in some time at this point, you know? Yeah, I think it's cool just to. Sorry, go ahead, Rich. No, 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 you're good. You're good. Go ahead. I was just gonna say it's cool that you like. I feel like that's probably the most like concise answer I've heard of that. You know, is because that you can really pinpoint exactly what pulled you into it. So that's that's very cool. Yeah, and and that's after some beers too. So hey, all right, (laughs) pretty good. Um, That's especially impressive. (laughs) I mean, it's it's a testament to like they. you know, because I'd always been a reader, like, again, a voracious, like, Stephen King reader and comic books and all that stuff. Um, and I went through my Bukowski phase, you know. But these were the dudes who it was just, like, um, did that merging, if it wasn't necessarily horror or whatever. But it was, like, it was almost, like, noir shit and literary fiction together, you know. Um, and it just floored me. So I think a lot of it comes from those two um those two authors well that kind of really speaks to the the kind of genre you know blurring that you're doing there I, I really just you know going back to that when you were listing you know like all the different genres and you're trying to pitch it like I love that like can we finally just do away with these yeah. genre lines right but <laughs> I mean were when... ever a bazooka to take care of that oh right <laughs> um but I'm also yeah I'm like I'm like, okay, I'm ready to have an agent again. So I'd like to, I need to narrow this down. And um, I mean, those people get like however many hundreds of them a week. So I'm like, all right, what can I do here? Alternate dystopian uh, thriller. Sure, let's run with it. <laughs> as long as you don't slap horror on it, you should. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. <laughs> the thriller label will get you there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I always kind of found that uh, interesting. But, you know, kind of how you said, like, all those qualifiers, you know, it kind of reminds me of, you know, an author that all three of us enjoy in Joe Lansdale and where he he always says that, like, he's not trying, you know, which by now he's built, you know, a reputable career that's lasted decades. But he said he always was never trying to be, like, the next this person or that person or you know, right, worrying about what kind of genre his stories were. He was just concerned with telling a great story. And it kind of seems like that you have that same kind of mindset and that, you know, you just kind of follow the story that, you know, speaks to you and whatever excites you. And you kind of just worry about that stuff later. Is that uh, accurate? That is Well, that's a very kind assessment. I appreciate it a lot. Um, that's, I guess I feel like, you know, like we talked about, I try, I, I've written like straight up um, crime novels or um, novels where like there's no weird elements to it. And it's like, 
trying to put um, your foot inside of a cereal box. You know what I mean? Like it just does not work. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it kind of is just an acknowledgement that like um, I have to make it fun for me um, and hopefully other people will dig it, you know? So yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, I think that definitely comes through in that, you know, people dig it because, you know, like I said earlier, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to claim to be like the widest red person in the world, but I try, but like, I've just kind of your whole style. And like, I don't know if that, cause I haven't read some of your early stuff and maybe if it was, you know, difficult for you, but it almost seems like, you know, you were able to create like this unique voice and, you know, there's a lot of writers that have unique voices, but you know, you have one that kind of just stands out. Like, I don't really know how to put it in the words even, but you know, you just were able to come up with like this unique voice that, you know, is kind of unlike, unlike anything else I've ever read. Like if I thank God, I'm not still like a bookseller because like when you try and come up with comps, like I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even know like what kind of comp to make. Uh, totally. <laughs> Man, that is a huge compliment. Thank you so much. I really, I really do think it's just um, allow. It's uh, the majority of it is just writing a wretched, shitty ass first draft, and <laughs> and not stopping until the shitty ass first draft is done, and then just like I edit shit like a dozen times, and so hopefully then that's when the voice starts to come forth. You know. Um, but yeah, it's, I feel like it's really just like, I find my voice in subsequent edits, you know what I mean? And that first, first draft or two, it's just like a monstrous, like death fart, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, but that's that's huge. I mean, that's part of it is not, you know, not being afraid to write bad fiction because you, yeah. The only page you can't correct is the one that's never written. That's and that's what like I'll occasionally get um, people that ask like for advice. And like that's I I have very few little kernels of wisdom. But one of it is like, don't die over the first 10 pages. Like people work endlessly over the first little bit of something and they'll just they'll go to their grave without ever finishing it because the first 10 pages have to be perfect. And you never get shit done that way, you know? So my my one takeaway is, like, allow yourself the grace of a shitty first draft. Yep. Yeah. Well, because even I don't consider myself, like, a bleeder where, like, it takes me forever to write anything. But, like, I'll find myself pondering for 10 minutes over a word. And I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) Fix this word later. It's just a Uh fucking word. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. I obsess that way. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> with everything I do, it takes me it takes me three days to write a page. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing is then I mean, I don't know what format you're talking about, but you finish it. A lot of people don't allow themselves to finish it because the the first section of it has to be perfect before they can move on. Yeah. And you just you just don't finish stuff that way. Well, and also, I mean, to anyone who hasn't been through the beta reading experience, you know, if they're brand new to it, it's like, oh, you may think it's perfect. Right. And then you're going to send it to other people to read. And before they even get back to you, you're going to realize everything that's wrong. With right. What you just as said. soon as you hit send. Right. Yes. 
you're going to yeah. be like, oh my God, what did I just do? Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of learning to to roll with those punches. Right. But then I've heard about like Colson Whitehead mentioned this thing where he very methodically and carefully writes like two or three pages a day. And then when he is done with his book, it takes him like three or four days to just do a quick run through of it. And he's done. So, hmm. uh, and I certainly can't fault that man, his accolades, you know what I mean? Like he knows what the fuck he's doing. So, um, everyone's experience is different. I'm just talking about what works for me, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, again, like I, I think especially that's, you know, with, with new writers who are asking for advice, I think that's really helpful because yeah, yeah. But I, th- I think most people can't just do like a quick edit run through and, and, right. and their work be golden. He's probably the exception. Yeah. And that is actually another, another book that, that, uh, just revitalized me and blew my mind was um zone one by him hmm. have you guys read that one i haven't i've heard okay. of it and i've always Holy wanted to read fuck, it dude it is it's a literary zombie fiction what um, yeah he wrote zone one about um after a zombie apocalypse and this dude is part of a military patrol trying to take over new york city again it's amazing, but it's full of that literary navel gazing stuff. It's so good. Yeah, that's that's long been on my uh my TBR list. Yeah, I'm gonna I have to pick that heard up. of that. I that it, was I was just adding it, it to Goodreads. That's crazy. I still I still think about it every day, pretty much. It's amazing. Dude, that that's awesome. That's pretty high praise if it is if it's uh, stuck with you that long. It's yeah, it's one of those books where I'm like, fuck, if I could have ripped that book off word for word, I absolutely would have. I just don't have the chops for it, you know? Like he is good, man. It's a great book. I just was clicking around adding it on uh, Goodreads. <laughs> All right. Um Yeah, no, that's 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 really excellent. It makes me and I I mean, this feels like it that I should not have needed someone to give me this advice. Uh But like for for like a a while there when I was really trying so hard to finish my first book, like I quit reading anything because I was like, no, you need to be writing. If you've Mm -hmm. got time to read, you should be writing. Right, right. And then I picked up uh, my husband and bought me Stephen King's on writing like, you know, a couple years before. And I, I read it and it was like one of the things was like, no everything you read makes you a better writer. So like, mm-hmm. that's totally part of it. And I was like, okay, thank you for that. Cause I'm, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking like, you know, so when you talk about like wanting to aim for like the literary fiction, so you read this and it's like, it just obviously clicks with you that like, okay, so literary fiction and zombies are clearly not mutually exclusive. Right. You know, totally. Goals. So yeah. that's awesome. No, and yeah. uh, especially in Colson Whitehead's hands, they're not mutually exclusive. He's a brilliant writer. Yeah, I I love the his last. Um, I don't know that dude is like kind of like a a crazy like cult figurehead to me, where he's just so goddamn good. And then I think the day that he uh, won the Pulitzer, uh, he his what his second Pulitzer or whatever, um, he. Uh, posted a selfie of him in New York with a mask on because of coronavirus and a misfit shirt. And he's like, what's up? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Dude, it's just cool as shit. My God. Yeah, just real people. Yeah, right? But, but uh, yeah, he's uh, awe-inspiring as a writer. Yeah. Um, I was going to, and I, you know, I don't know if this is something that just sort of came up as an element of this book. So, cryptids. Are you, are you a believer? Uh, I have two things to say. First, <laughs> thank you guys so much for, like, it's clear you guys, like, did careful readings of the book. And, like, just as a writer, you guys all know this shit, but, like, thank you so much. Like, that means a lot. It's super cool. Oh, absolutely. Um, Love yeah. it. And what is a cryptid? <laughs> Mark, Mark is a cryptozoologist. Oh, yeah. right. So, like, a, a, a mythical creature. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because when I hear cryptid, I think of like insects or something. Um, oh gosh, yeah, that does sound like it. Does. Yeah. yeah. Good call. Um, good call. Not particularly. Um, but again, as someone who grew up on Stephen King novels, um, and like when Brian fills out that uh, questionnaire to Mark Sandoval, like, why is this important to you or whatever? And he writes about uh, his desire to believe even if everything kind of flies in the face of it, uh, there's still that desire to uh, be afraid of the thing under the bed, you know, or um, be mystified by something. Like I still want to be mystified by things, even if I like pretty stridently don't believe, I pretty stridently believe in just, in just guts, you know, like just our guts. Like that's kind of it. Yeah. I, and that seems to be an Oregon thing. It's like everybody thinks we're all like spiritual and earthy and we're all, yeah, but I don't believe in anything. <laughs> I mean, that's not to say that like, you know, humanism, like, like being good isn't a thing. But yeah, as far as like astral projection, like not really. Yeah. Yeah, not so much. But then at the same time, like I, you know, I obviously I, I grew up in, uh, Bigfoot country, so you know, to a degree, I was required to believe some, you know, until I yeah home. But dude, I was in um like maybe a year ago. I was in Roseburg, Oregon, uh, at a wonderful you or um Sutherland, Oregon, in a wonderful used bookstore there, and the two dudes there, it was like a customer and a guy, kind of uh talking about their buddy who um had seen Bigfoot the weekend previous. And they were like kind of hemming and hawing about like the reality of it. But I mean, they were like not uh, outright laughing about the guy. You know what I mean? They were like, yeah, I don't know. And these were like pretty tough logger dudes. Yeah. That would hang out in a bookstore, but still, you know. Yeah. But it's Oregon. We're all earthy and spiritual and shit. So. Oh, yeah. I had a moment because I'm in Kentucky and I'm like, wait a second. But no, that's right. I forget. Wait, loggers in a bookstore? What the hell? Right. <laughs> what were they protesting? But... Why not? No, they're the ones who cut the fucking trees. Of course they're supporting the bookstores. <laughs> um, they, get a, they get a ton of reports of up there around Diamond Lake and Crater Lake and those mm-hmm. areas up there, which is right over by where you're at there in Sutherland. Yeah, they um that film Fire in the Sky, they filmed that uh, in 
Oakland, Oregon, like a yeah. little tiny town about 10 miles away from Sutherland. Yeah, my uncle Carl was in that movie. Mm. Really? Yeah. yeah, he was one of the guys who got killed in the the log roll. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's that's kind of interesting, but uh, and two, it also brings up a a point because you guys both brought up that movie. I was wondering if that was if you took any inspiration from that since it was filmed in Oregon. Like I, I kind of one of the things that I noticed about this story was like kind of like maybe you had pulled, you know, inspiration from fire in the sky. You know, I, I know I've seen it before for sure. And I know anecdotally uh, the gist of it. Um, I mostly know of it cause it was filmed in like my mom's hometown and my grandparents lived there and everything. Um, and I think the guy gets abducted and then he, winds up somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I think maybe I might have called that, um, that notion of, like, being displaced. Um, but if so, it was, like, very unintentional. Like, I'm just now clicking the points together, being like, oh, yeah, right. But I think he was just kind of in, like, a different part of town or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't uh, too close, but I was just like, like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't like an obvious connection, but it yeah. just kind of seemed like an homage. So but I, that's I was one just of the, the weird things about writing is like, you pick that shit up all the time and you're not even sure of like um, where it comes from. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. I'm, like reading new stuff all the time, or um, I'm sure I've ripped off like dozens of things um throughout these books for sure but just never intentionally you know what i mean yeah i know what you mean it's kind of like almost like you said like because you're always taking stuff in like it just kind of lodges itself in it in your subconscious and you know like when like when i read it i didn't think you know like oh this is definitely fire in the sky but it's kind of like you said you take these things in and then you don't even realize it, and then you kind of just filter it through, you know, your own idea. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a cool thing where, like, uh, that may have been the idea of, like, okay, he's going to get displaced somewhere, like, majorly away, like, at the other end of the country or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then that's part of that challenge of, the like, the prompts and all that shit is, like, okay, so how do you get him from point A to point B? And it's like, okay, so it turns out, I don't want to give a bunch of the plot away, but like there, yeah. there are reasons how he gets there, you know? Um, so that's part of the cool challenge of like writing weird ass genre stuff or, or, or prompts, you know, it's like, it's almost that game of like, how do you get from point A to point B in a fun way, but also believable. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, like, again, like you said, without giving too much away, I thought that was kind of cool, kind of how you, how you weave that in there with Mark and like the reasoning. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I thought that was, I thought that was a really, a really nice, a really nice touch. And like, you know, kind of the way you structured the book, that was kind of one thing that like I wanted to ask you about. It's like, I noticed that 
you know, in some of the different parts, like, you know, especially like when you first meet Brian, it's kind of like a third person thing. Yeah. And at different and because it's broken up into, I think, like six different parts or maybe it's like six or seven parts. Yeah. But then you kind of like you do like these this third person thing in a bunch of the parts. And then it kind of shifts to like a first person thing, which I yeah. thought was kind of cool. But I was wondering, you know, like what what kind of made you t- take it from doing like a third person to a first person? Yeah. And if that's something that you hashed out from the beginning of it. No. And that's that has been the major sticking point with this book is that I think there's it's almost at the end where there's a, a mm-hmm. leap to first person point of view. And uh, across the board, the one like if there's a complaint about the book, it's that. And then it pulls readers out. Um, and again, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I felt like it worked better doing it that way. And then I was able to tell more, a more expansive story. Um, so it was a risk. And like, uh, I tried it, those sections with uh, third person and it just didn't work. So I don't know if it was successful. I feel like it was. But like, again, that's up to every every reader. Well, and it felt yeah. very, I, I, it felt very intentional because it's like, you know, I was, when we got into like third person Mark, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't expecting it, but then I was like, oh good, you know, we're going to, we're going to get his kind of like how yeah. this led up to it. And he, you know, he was always such an interesting character, um, even before I mean, we kind of get in his head yeah. some, but he's, yeah. he's, he's kind of so a com- shit, man. He's, he's, <laughs> he's pretty much a shit. He, he is. is. I mean, he is, but my God, you know, he shows up. He's got this, this, uh, you know, this reputation. It's fantastic. You, you know, right. him, but he's just very compelling. You know, it's, yeah. not, it's still not. I'm not going to say I identify. No, I, 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 identify, I identify in the way I identify with fucking Josh Gates. <laughs> But, uh, but I mean, like, you know, when you get to that, especially with, with uh, Marcus, the middle piece, like it's, it feels very like intentional and just makes you feel closer to Brian. I yeah. feel like, mm-hmm. you know, which in particular, the way he sort of comes into himself, it was one of the things that I noted to myself about it too. Like um, all of it felt like it was very tightly woven and everything was very intentional yeah. because it was like uh, Brian's lack of belief and sort of more skepticism really played out well as the book went along without having it be like a Scully for God's sake, there's an alien standing on right. your face, you know, <laughs> in them. so it's like, fuck, you know, but this uh, was, it was just very, like you could really see where their views split. Um, yeah. that just played into it super well. And, and everything that Brian did, even the things where you're like, yeah, that was dumb. It was mm. really, you could see in, in the time that you had spent building up, the image of him and his, you know, his family life and how he felt about himself, you could see why he did these things. Yeah. And that change too, that first third person shift, uh, really, really, really does a number with charging the tension in the thing too. When it goes from Brian to Mark. Yeah. 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 The differences in the, in the first person, third person just seems to really kind of, have an effect of winding that up. Mm. You know I mean? Yeah. I gotta say, man, that there's a scene with Mark where he goes on a blind date with a woman. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that was like, 
And then the whole thing with he goes like it, the date ends horribly, and he goes to a bar to get shit faced. And that entire exchange where he like he texts like terrible things to this woman, um, that was some of the most harrowing shit that I've written because it was like uh, I can absolutely picture men doing that, and it was just like. Blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Like, no shit. Yeah. it was just like, it was one of those things where it's like, I didn't want like people to be like, uh, dude is gross for writing a character this gross. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, but like the dude was, yeah. So when I say that he was kind of a shit, like that's what I'm talking about. Um, yes. yeah, but it was like, that was the most like straightforward, non, non weird aspect of the book was those scenes, you know? But they were some of the toughest to write. And so I thought that was kind of cool in that way. But, like, that shit was unnerving, you know? It is, and especially, I mean, I feel like you, well, to your point about, you know, like, is, is this guy gross because he did that? Like, no, that that yeah. very clearly is, is you know, part of a character that's already, like, you've done the legwork on setting him up as being this kind of a person. Right, And right. it honestly, like, felt so so natural for him in the way that he was doing it like because it's just like these things that he does to him it seems like it's the next step well right. yeah so so yeah. then i then i talk shit about you know this and and then right. it went poorly but i couldn't stop myself so then I, and it's like and then i sent these texts and it's like of course you did what what yeah, else did right, you right. <laughs> right. exactly like yeah <laughs> meanwhile so, i'm pretty sure brian would have punched him for it so yeah or <laughs> Gone home with a headache, the bastard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I did have one question for you guys, and without mm-hmm. like giving the plot away, um, but was Mark Sandoval abducted by aliens? Hmm. Nah. <laughs> and there's you know, no wrong answer. There's no wrong answer. <laughs> You know, I, you know, I kind of think about it. Uh, It's hard for me to answer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's cool. I I do have a definite answer that I I personally think. If you want to, man, send it it to me afterwards, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I'm just scared. I'm like, I do not want to ruin this for anybody. <laughs> like, right, so. right. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm the person who like <laughs> when I, I get asked my favorite, you know, horror novelist harmony, I'm like, oh, the haunting of, of Hill House, Shirley Jackson. And they're like, okay, so interesting question. Was there a ghost? I'm like, I'm sorry, was there a question about that? So uh-huh. like I I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. the person who does, who like so I'm just like, hmm, okay, I feel like my answer is gonna be wrong. Yeah. Okay. Yep. (laughs) Right. Yeah, he said he was. Well, Shane, thank you for your no. I appreciate it. (laughs) 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 The most informative answer. Right, right. (laughs) And this is kind of off topic, but sort of on topic. I, you know, I'm. I'm kind of going back to an earlier point you made, kind of like how Brian answered that interview question. I have the same kind of reasoning that he does, but like with some of this stuff, like, you know, I believe in it. And, um, 
you know, I've always been like, man, I wish somebody would, you know, write kind of like a straightforward alien book. And, and in a way, this isn't. It's something totally unique. And, you know, the, kind of the way you tackled that, because from a young age, like, I was obsessed with that stuff, like nonfiction stuff, like about Roswell and this and that. Yeah. And I have to commend you, because a lot of people take on, you know, like, aliens, and, you know, it kind of goes one, it kind of goes, like, two ways, either. It kind of goes the more traditional route, or something, you know, like, where they create their own idea of what aliens are. And I felt you kind of took this topic in a completely original direction. Again, I can't really comment on it too much, because I'd be scared of ruining it. But I thought the way that you did it was totally unique. And, you know, as somebody who is obsessed with that stuff, I thought that was really cool. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I, I think that, like, regardless, like, whether or not the guy got abducted, um, the waking up experience would be harrowing as shit to just be like, oh, okay, I'm here. Oh, my God. Um, and... On a total unrelated side note, I did interview people about what smoking PCP was like. So, <laughs> but that's totally unrelated, and it has nothing to do with the alien abduction whatsoever. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I, you know, I've done a lot of research on smoking various substances, but not. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, I've, I've never researched that one personally. Yeah. No, yeah. Friends, so. so yeah, friends of mine that have researched that aspect of it have said that it's the one they were like very into doing whatever, except for that after they did it one time. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. That's a terrifying drug. I never ever went anywhere near it, even in my heyday when I would pretty much smoke or snort anything. Yeah. Not that it has anything to do with the novel at all. No. no. It's unrelated. Yeah. It's unrelated. Completely, completely unrelated. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Shane mentioned too, so and I, I didn't I didn't realize this, but did did you do the cover for this as well? Yeah, I've done every one of my uh book covers and then I've done a couple other Meerkat covers as well. Yeah, you so rich, but you you did the cipher, right? Yeah, I did the new fucking cipher thing. That's was, fucking awesome. Yeah, that was nerve wracking because I had not read the book, but I I mean I knew its importance, and uh, it was a big deal to be able to work on that. Um, and so yeah, we were able to nail it down, and um, the author's happy with it, the publisher's happy with it. So I'm like. Uh, breathing a sigh of relief, you know? <laughs> yeah. And if, if, if you haven't read that yet, Keith, you'll definitely Dude, want to check it out. I've read the excerpts of it, like, to just kind of get an idea of what the... And it's like, she is so fucking good, man. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. I think you'll love it. Yeah. And beyond that, she, like, strikes me as, like, an in- intrinsically good person as well. Yeah. So, which, I mean, that counts for whatever. But yeah, yeah. I really well, do think she is. I think you're probably right too. We had her on the on the podcast right around the time the book released, and she was, oh cool, she was just lovely. We loved right her. on, yeah. 
Yeah, there's all this talk about like literary citizenship, you know what I mean? And I think that like she is a great example of a good literary citizen. Oh, absolutely. Um, so. Yeah, that's a good way to put it because it's yeah. it's just one of those. And it's, you know, I mean, it, doing this podcast is one of those things like the the opportunity to talk to a lot of these writers and like just get, you know, kind of inside their heads and the way that they work and also support each other. I mean, it's it's really yeah, and I mean this. This is like um, I don't know about the the untold riches you guys are making off of this, you know. But like, <laughs> it's like it's very much like based off a love of and a sense of like I don't know. I don't like community sounds like a dumb word, but like a sense of like ownership of a, the same thing together, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's very cool. It's super cool. I think, and but and community works too. Yeah. I think you know it's a it's not the most punk way to say it, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it fits. It fits. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I I keep sidetracking Laurel's point. She'll start to make a point, and I'll say and bounce. Look at this butterfly with me. <laughs> <laughs> but she was talking about your uh, your illustration work. Mm-hmm. Um, tell people what's interesting about that. If you, if you're oh, right. that. Uh, so I was born with this thing called optic nerve hypoplasia, uh, which means a severe um, amount of uh, deadening of the optic nerve. So um, it affects people in various ways, but it means I have like super serious lack of peripheral vision. So most people can see like 180 degrees um, and I can see like 20, 25% with my eye, both eyes combined. So it means if I'm drawing something, I can't actually see the whole page at once. Or if I'm looking at your eyes while you're talking, I can't see your nose. Like it's a very limited amount of tunnel vision. Oh. And so, um, I didn't find out about the, like my parents lived a pretty crazy life and had other things going on. So I didn't find out until I that I was about my eyesight until I was like 10. And by that time, I was already pretty entrenched in like making art and being a reader and all that stuff. So um, there was no like claims of like, oh, I can't do this. I can't be an artist or I can't draw or whatever. Um, so in spite of this visual limitation, I'm an artist and an illustrator and a graphic designer. And hopefully it lends a certain, like my writing, a certain weird, unique quality to my stuff. Um, yeah. I, and it does. I think, I think cool. it's, um, you know, not, not in a bad way once again, you know, and I think yeah, it, totally. I think it speaks to, to the, to the type of contracts you get that, you know? Yeah, totally. Right. You, people dig that work and right i was i had the benefit of actually being familiar with your work before i was your illustration work before i even really knew you were a writer oh cool right on but i didn't really know who the fuck you were i just yeah (laughs) right right yeah cool yeah (laughs) yeah and like shane said i i love i loved your uh i love your illustrations and, you know, as somebody who's into that genre of music, like, I thought it was so cool, you know, some of the punk bands that you worked with and, 
you know, what you were able to do for them in terms of like, you know, cover design or, you know, merch design. Yeah, it was a great, I mean, um, it's very much slowed down with the kids now. Um, like we're for one financially in a spot, um, where I don't, where I'm not like fucking hustling to do like shirt design so that I can eat, you know? Um, and so I'm able to like, when I'm not with the kids, I'm able to do writing, which pays far, far less. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I, like even if it was like, you know, Joey and the butt nuts asking me to do their seven inch, like it was still like, fuck yes, man, I will absolutely do that. Like it was still a profound honor. Joey and the Butt Nuts is not a real band, just so you guys know. <laughs> it is now. Yeah, right? I was like, man, Keith must have a very expensive knowledge of punk music. Because I don't even know Dude, that. Your seven inch is worth like $300 now. <laughs> you know, it's funny, though. Like, some of the names that you'll often come across, you know, depending yeah. on what song or that music... I'll admit, at first, I totally bought that, like, maybe they were some small band in Portland or whatever that was, like, oh, actually a band. Dude, like, <laughs> Road 7, I got to make up that, um, the the father, the yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. was into grindcore, and so it was, like, yeah. I don't I can't even remember the band's name, but, it, like, yeah, grindcore bands are hilarious as far as their names go, and so that yeah, was very are. fun. To like mess around with that and, and just make up a couple names here and there. Yeah. I know Rectal was in it. Like, yeah, I was like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Which is not that far from like the the grindcore ouvoir, you know? Like that's a that's a pretty common common one in, in their uh, yeah. uh terms. Yeah, I, in an, in another life I was I was engaged to a heavy metal musician and their band was called Filth Porn. Wow. And, um, yeah. It's fun to bring that home to mom all the time. Uh, totally. <laughs> it was wow, like cool because yeah. I was I was already in corporate America at that point. Right. <laughs> I think my, my job was like seriously. seriously. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, reach for the stars. Right. Your mom. So what do you do? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I wasn't being rebellious either. It just happened that way. Yeah. <laughs> that way. <laughs> well, and I noticed too when I was when I was poking around on your website. So you you have taught a magical realism course through Lit Reactor. Mm-hmm. A couple times. Yeah. That's awesome. So how? Yeah. I mean, is that more of like a? It's it's an online course. Well, obviously it's through Lit Reactor, right? So. <laughs> It's, yeah, uh, and that's that's uh, it's one of those it's it's a lot of work. Um, yeah. Depending on how many students you have, like you present the um, synopsis of the like the curriculum, and then once a week for four weeks, um, people present drafts, and the students have to um, comment on x amount of other students. Like I'll break them up into groups, and uh, so they have to like submit their shit and then comment on other people's stuff <clears throat> and uh for a lot of people that's the first time they've ever done that you know that they've ever commented on someone else's story and offered notes um 
but then I do everybody's story and it's every week for four weeks. Um, and then ideally at the end of that four weeks, they have like a magical realism story that they're ready to submit to lit journals if they want to. Right on. Yeah. And it's a lot of, um, uh, it's a lot of work to, to like do line edits on a story. And it's been a, a fascinating process of like the, the like variety of skill levels is really interesting sometimes. And the variety of people who um, can accept criticism is also really interesting sometimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? yes. Well, and especially I imagine criticism from their fellow students. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> it for used the to most get part, ugly though. Yeah, yeah. For the for the most part, it's been like like uh, really kind, and, and there's nothing uh, more awesome than seeing like people respond really kindly to other people's critiques. Um, and then there's like occasionally people who just don't have that experience oh. getting critiqued. And so they're like, they become defensive and nobody wants that, you know? Uh, so. Yeah. But that's that was, also something to be taught. I mean, yeah. that, that is absolutely yeah. part of writing. I mean, uh, like, yeah. Like, like I said, I, I submitted to almost a hundred agents before I landed one. Um, and that is like over a book that I loved and I thought was good, you know? So I hear you. Yeah, it's um, uh, my mom actually teaches uh, writing online as well. And I ended up at one point writing a 12 step program for her students on dealing, <laughs> on dealing with criticism. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like step seven is martini because. Uh, right. It, but, you know, yeah. Uh, as are eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Probably, yeah. Yep. But, but I mean, that is, that is honestly like, you know, the more I do it, the more like, uh, this is my second thing that I've published and, and it's like, you just get more immersed in it. You experience different things, you experience setbacks and complications and frustrations. And every time I like get frustrated with it, I'm like, but this is why, you know, if you don't love it, then fucking drop it. You know, that's dude, that's the thing that I like with these kids, it was like such a difficult time where I had so little time to myself and it was like you know just getting up at, at first thing in the morning like before anyone's awake and it's like nobody is making you do this you know like you're doing this because you want to do it yeah and that's but I mean man like immediately getting immersed in in two toddlers that's intense that oh man <laughs> it's it's fu- yeah it's fucking crazy and you know kids who like have experienced a lot of trauma and shit like yeah it can be a handful for sure but um they rule um but yeah they take a lot uh yeah Yeah. that's uh you guys are you guys are heroes for doing that (laughs) that's that's a rough job yeah Uh, it's definitely definitely a labor of love yeah they're um ridiculously cute sometimes so it it balances out (laughs) (laughs) that yeah that is that is how nature planned things. Yeah. They're like, they're talking about their, um, their bunk beds that they had at their old house, but they called them bonk beds. And it's no. because their brother fell off one and split his lip. And so they're like, yeah, it's a bonk bed. Cause you oh. fucking, you fucking bonk yourself, you know? <laughs> makes perfect <laughs> sense. Yeah. It's like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's a bonk bed. Sure. That's big that you've, that you have been able to like, get through to where you're able to like write 
you know. Yeah, right. totally. Because that's and it, I'm working on a new thing that is like it's it's like a fucking it's so hard when it's not coming well, but when it is, it's like the best gift in the world to be immersed in a story that you're working hard on, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and imagine you kind of like have to almost restart your engines after that kind of like diversion onto, because I mean, it's not just your time. It's like your mental energy is sapped. With yeah. I mean, I, I don't like, it was a, it was a fucking dark stretch for the first couple of months. And, um, like they, I mean, these kids didn't really know what was going on, you know? And, um, yeah, it was a rough, it was rough going, but now, I mean, it's been six months and they're starting to settle in and there are children, you know? Um, absolutely. But it's, uh, yeah, it was tough. And I did not write for, you know, a fair amount of time. I was able to edit here and there, but, um, yeah, it was tough. Yeah, because even just, I mean, yeah, it's when the kids go to bed, that's either your time to write or you might just like turn on some fucking Netflix and yeah, cause finally you're, get dinner. You're decimated, right? Like, yes. yes. <laughs> you're dead from the neck up. Like, that was always, yeah, when my kids were young like that, that was always turn on the TV and pour a drink time. Yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. There's there's awkward silence number two. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was trying to I was trying to pull back from doing what I do with like the you know becoming doing parent talk the entire time. Yeah, Laurel. Uh-huh. <laughs> Laurel yeah. is our resident advice columnist in uh-huh. the department. There we go. <laughs> well, m- mostly just commiseration. Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Every now and then she likes to go on other people's podcasts and tell them what to do, but Oh, there, there we go. <laughs> well, yeah, Glenn didn't even have kids. I was mostly just telling him uh, that he owed his mother an apology yeah. <laughs> for his, for his no. adolescence. Yeah. No, for his parenting, but for his childing. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Well, just because he was apparently terrifying, so. Uh, I uh... <laughs> uh. So, so Keith, uh, go into your short story collection that you're working, you're, you know, getting ready to release. What was the, what kind of process did you have for, you know, selecting which stories you wanted to put in there and kind of maybe what order you wanted to put them in there? Like, did you have kind of like a thematic uh, thing that you wanted to build or how did you kind of put it together? Uh I, again, as somebody who um, sparsely attended college at best, um, I don't know what people say when they talk about theme. As a writer, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what people are talking about. To Um, be honest, I'm not really sure either. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I guess, like, I didn't know if maybe, because, like, the way we have often you know, talked about it with other writers is like the easiest way I think of it is like a mixtape. So like, I didn't know if maybe, you know, you kind of grouped them together with kind of like an emotional component you wanted your readers to feel and like 
you know, or like, you know, if you wanted to hit like, okay, I want this story because, you know, it's going to get the reader in this kind of mindset. Yeah. This story because, you know, I, like it'll put them in kind of a different mindset. I didn't know if you kind of did it like that or if you just, you know, kind of were like, you know, these are some of the stories that I really liked and that I felt most passionate about. So I just wanted to right. in a collection. Yeah, I think mostly what I did is um, we had like, I don't know, 25 to work from. And we picked, I think this collection is like 80,000 words. And we picked um, the best out of those 25 that also weren't too close in like subject matter. Um, so there would be ones where like a character kind of had a similar job or whatever. So we, we kept one and cut the other out. And then mostly what I did is um, I just made sure that the point of views weren't stacked too um, close together. So there's a lot of first person point of views. So I made sure to like pepper those with like second or third point of view stories. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was pretty much it. And like, really, I, I, I feel like all of my stories say the same goddamn thing over and over again, you know? Um, so that really wasn't um so in that sense i kind of feel like i know what 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 theme means um but again this is all mostly like like i i took high school um i graduated high school and then when i went to art school um they took a i took an english placement test and i placed in in english 65 um because i had like the most rudimentary grasp of like the basic tenets of writing didn't know what semicolon what a semicolon was or a modifier or any of that shit. I still don't for the most part. Um, and so when it comes to these big overarching questions of like what writing means, like a lot of times I'm just like, I have no idea, man. That's kind of interesting. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of of the same, the same kind of mindset. And like, I kind of know what theme is, but like, you know, when I would do these like assignments in high school or whatever, and they'd be like, you know, what is the symbolism of, you know, X, Y, Z. Right. Like that was something that I kind of really struggled with too. Yeah. So I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Like that's stuff that I really had to work at, but I think that that's, you know, in a way, you know, I don't think, you know, it's either good or bad, but I, I think it's interesting because, you know, like sometimes when you, you know, study that stuff and there's nothing wrong with people who study that stuff and have a good grasp of it, you know, like maybe that kind of shades how they approach certain things. And, you know, the fact that you didn't, like, maybe that kind of helped you, you know, not be afraid to do certain things. Yeah, I and and I mean it is it is what it is regardless, you know. Like I would yeah. I would love uh to have gotten an MFA at some point. Um but that is just not how life unfolded, you know. Um mm-hmm. and so I have I have ideas of what I'm trying to convey with um with each story and again they're all pretty similar, but like um yeah, those like specific, very specific um, wayposts of what writing is supposed to mean. Like, fuck, I got no idea. Yeah, I can re- I can definitely relate to that myself. Yeah, yeah. Writing is supposed to mean that you 
if you're good at it, you tell a good fucking story. And yeah, right. More. Yeah. 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 Um, there are some huge ass writers. You know, I think it's uh, um, Elmore James uh, has a ninth grade education. You know, oh, I mean, is it James Elroy? James or James Elroy. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, so can't right. say much about an education. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what creates the just the variety of voices too, though. Because yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I don't want to say that like getting an MFA would like obscure your authorial voice, but we don't need nothing but MFA voices. So absolutely, yeah. for sure. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that shit can be expensive. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think I've had like two creative writing classes in my lifetime. Yeah. A lot a lot of writing classes, but only two creative writing classes. And right. they, yeah. they they were useful, but they were really fucking expensive and Yeah. Yeah, we don't need student loans along with every damn thing else at the moment. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> no, and the advent of social media and the internet has made it a lot easier these days to self-educate and to find mentors and like-minded mm-hmm. people who can kind of give you guidance in whatever you're endeavoring to do, too. Yeah. yeah so. But... I digress just because I'm me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense, though, Shane, because like, um, you know, like I, the only classes I took writing wise were, you know, a couple like electives and it was like for creative nonfiction. But I feel like, you know, not even just our podcasts and the conversations that we have, but just other other podcasts too where authors you know speak on there i feel like you know there's no kind of substitute for practicing your own craft of writing but in terms of like if you were to you know take a class like i feel like i've learned just as much as i could have you know through people's podcasts or like author interviews Mm -hmm. you know i could have taken like when i was still in school I would agree. Yeah, this podcast is kind of like is kind of like a, almost a running workshop that way. Yeah, that it always ends up swinging around to being really, really informative on the part of whichever writer we happen to be talking to at the time. Yeah. yeah. Especially when Laurel's with us because Laurel's smart and she asks questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, but no. That's... <laughs> I don't think that's what it is. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to have to wrap pretty soon. Um, do you have uh, anything else you want to make sure we get covered here tonight, Keith, before we wrap up? Uh, no, I uh, I feel good about this. I really, really appreciate you guys taking the time uh, to read the book. And thank you so much for this interview. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you for coming on and um, yeah, to our listeners pick up road seven it's fucking fantastic um, you won't know what to expect but you'll be really psyched when you get there yep and watch for the short story collection too um, uh, we'll have to have you come back and talk to us after we've had a chance to read that too Keith uh, thank you so yeah. much I'd love to 
All right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just one last thing, if anybody uh, kind of wants to check out Keith's work, um, we have his short story, Their Souls Climb the Room, at inkheist.com. If you click on the little fiction button at the top. Okay. All right. See you guys I later. guess that means we're done. I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> Take care, Keith. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks, man. Pleasure. Have a good Thank night. You. Yeah, have Bye. a good one. It was great. Bye, guys. Thank you Bye. so much. See you later. Bye. Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? <laughs> <laughs>